Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you're anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. This is a holiday refresher of an earlier episode about a particular government acquisition strategy. And it's brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. Visit skywayacq.com to learn more. Let's get started. There are many, many ways to acquire a product or service. We've talked about a lot of them on the podcast, but probably probably just a small, tiny percentage of all the different ways you could think of acquiring something. One of the big decisions that, as far as the way to acquire something is whether or not to compete. Is it going to be a competition or a sole source? And of course, competition is preferred. But once the decision is made, of, of all the options you could take, the decision is made, okay, we're going to compete. So now you've thinned some of the herd. There's still lots more ways to choose from. And we've talked about those in the podcast. But the overall goal of the acquisition plan, which is, is the how, right? The acquisition plan is how are we going to acquire this thing, is to filter out all the options, all the different contractors the government could possibly buy from and get it down to a smaller group and then a very small group and then potentially down to one company. So it's a filtering process that we're talking about here. One of the ways to filter is to use a down-select strategy. Before we get into that, let's stop and say thanks. Thanks this week goes to Cynthia Geddes. Cynthia is a contracts leader at BAE Systems. She's in the Boston, Massachusetts area. I want to thank Cynthia for sharing episode 316, which is the one about uh, cost or pricing data, or one of the ones about cost or pricing data, during the podcast feedback calls that I have with our listeners. I always ask them how they found us. The most common response I get is one of my colleagues told me to check it out, or I found it on LinkedIn, something like that. So when people like Cynthia share our episodes, more people check us out. Thanks, Cynthia, for helping more people find our podcast. Indeed. Thanks, Cynthia. All right, back to down selects. What is a down select? To award a contract, we need six basic elements. And you'll recognize these from, from anytime you're trying to buy something. You need to know what it is, when you need it, where you need it, how many you need or how much, and then who's going to give it to you and then how you're going to acquire it. The acquisition strategy is the how. You know, the how the government is going to acquire a product or service. That's the acquisition plan. It sort of operates like a filter. Your acquisition strategy filters out offerers who, who can't do the work or can't win or don't want the work. The, we've talked about this on almost every podcast, but the more information you share about exactly what you need, the more potential offerers say, that's not really for me. That's not something I can win. And then they don't bid and you save the time and money of evaluating proposals that can't win. Whoever's left after you shared all your information about the what, when, where, how much, and who, the, those that are left are probably a pretty good fit to solve the government's problem. And a, one way to get from those that are a pretty good fit down to the few or the one in a really effective, and we'll talk about why it's especially effective process, is this down-select process. Because we've said select so many times, you may guess that we are in the selection zone. If we're talking acquisition time zones and execution time zones, we're talking about the selection. When the government is actually deciding, who am I going to award this contract to? This is one strategy they can use to make that selection. 
And if you're not familiar with the acquisition time zones, they're in episode number three, and the execution time zones are in episode number 84. A downselect is, is a formal way to qualify offers by creating gates in the acquisition process. There are a lot of filters the government will use throughout those time zones. So let's back up a little second. So in the requirement zone, a gate could be ISO certification or requiring a PhD or requiring a cleared facility or requiring specific speed or bait for a product. Those are gates that the, that the, the seller has to be able to get through to meet the requirement. Okay, that's the requirement zone. During the market research zone, there are more gates. Now you've got things like a small business set aside, whether it's a cost type contract. Are they putting on a specific government-wide acquisition contract that if you're not on it, you can't bid? Uh, is there a specific past performance reference? Those are all gates in the market research zone. These filter out who can compete, right? And filter out effectively who will submit an offer. And, and that, that those offers who are left will submit during the RFP zone. The down select, that comes up during the source selection zone. So it's a little bit unique in that regard. This is a gate that's toward the end of the process. Let's talk about some examples of a down-select process and, and the filters that the government can use to decide which offers are really eligible for award and who to select. This could be a capability filter, meaning do you have the capabilities needed to deliver on this contract and we want to actually see evidence? So think of a logistics contract where you have to ship things across the country. The government may say, show us evidence that you have a warehouse in each time zone, <laughs> for example, show like show me pictures, show me actual people, give me the address, like show me like real evidence. If you don't meet that gate, then the rest of your proposal is irrelevant because we've decided that that we need to have a warehouse in each in each time zone. Yeah. Um, I'd probably want to see a lease, a signed lease, rather than a, just a go. picture, because you yeah. could just get pictures off the internet. Or hey, <laughs> very look, true. Here's my warehouse. Look, and then there's like a really badly photoshopped uh, sign on on the outside with your company logo, it's yeah. a, and it's got a shadow of a Google car. Right, right. No, you probably probably want to see actual leases to show that you have warehouses. That's that's a good example, though, right? And if you don't already have those, we're not interested. You don't get to propose. You don't get to move to the next stage. Give me another example. A, a trial run filter uh, where you're, the government is asking that the contractors perform as a sample as, as part of a small contract, it's going to lead to a larger contract. In this case, the government's going to pay for that first round. Say, you know, I'll go back to products makes this easier. Being able to say that we have a product that we know you need to be able to deliver, we want to know you can actually do it. We're going to award three contracts and you're going to have a base that we're going to pay you half a million dollars. Each contractor is getting half a million dollars to prove how well they can do this during the first six months. The one that does it the best, they're going to get a follow-on option exercise for the long-term contract. But the difference here is now the government's paying for some performance to prove you can actually do it. And this can be formal, like I just described, or it can even be informal, where it's micro-awards or the government can give you $100,000 to test out a process. I was listening to the Federal Drive podcast. It's actually a pretty good podcast. A lot of different topics, but one of the topics he had in there, he was uh, interviewing a director from the IRS. And he talked about, they do a lot of small contracts to test ideas. to you know, like $100,000 here, $50,000 there. And if it sticks, then they can build from that. Well, that's a way, it's not a formal way to do a down select like we're talking about, but it has that same kind of feel. 
It's like, we're going to pay you to do this. If it works, we'll try something else. I like that. Select multiple awardees. We're going to put options for delivery on each contract. Once we get past the initial, you know, test delivery, deliver, deliver me one or two of these things, then you can decide, hey, I'm going to exercise the options on one. These other contracts, sorry, we're never going to exercise any options. It's an interesting way to do it. The downselect process also works on the gigantic acquisitions that, that aren't as common but get all the press. And we tend to talk about those a, a lot. They set the stage for everything else, right? <laughs> we're weighted toward those, I think. As we're recording this, NASA is in the process of doing a downselect for the mission to the moon, right? The goal was men or, or women or both on the moon and return safely by 2024. The way NASA worked it, they did a competition for three initial contracts. And they had more than three offers, but they selected three to actually design to carry their initial idea of how we would do this moon landing thing, take it off the paper and actually design the start. Yeah, start. Take it from proposal promise to actually show me that this design actually closes, that you can do this. So after, I don't know, maybe a year of work, then NASA is going to down select and either carry two forward to the next phase or just pick one to actually do the mission. That way, instead of just awarding to who wrote the best proposal about, hey, here's how we're going to get to the moon in 2024, they get some time to actually see if that proposal is doable before they commit to a single contractor to accomplish that mission. And that, that costs more from a, from a resources and a money perspective. But again, you go back to, this is an overall complex mission. Spend an extra hundred million dollars. This is going to sound crazy, but think about it. Spend an extra hundred million dollars now to confirm what actually what you're working on works, or you can spend $5 billion three years from now fixing it. Right. And <laughs> that's kind of, I, I, something that big, I can see that's exactly how it would play out. Yeah, that's the goal, right? The 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 savings from doing the down select or the mission success from doing the down select should outweigh the additional costs and time that it takes to do a down select because you are inserting more process into the decision, into the acquisition decision. All right, why is it important to think about down selects when you're building your acquisition strategy? It's effective. It is, it is, I've done several of them. I've been involved from the government side and from the industry side. And it's a very effective filtering tool. Uh, And it drives more communication. Now the, the, it it makes for efficient communication because now we know what is the overall goal here? Did we actually meet it? Particularly when you, you pay three contractors to do the work and you have real evidence, not, I hope this works evidence, but like real result, able to say, wow, that worked. Let's do more of that. That's huge. That that's makes it more efficient, even though it is a, a bigger investment up front. And this is also, we talk about targeting a lot from the, how do you target from the government side? We know how to target from the industry side, you know, pick your targets very selectively based on what you can win on the government side. How do you target? You target by creating an acquisition plan. that's going to get you a more likelihood or higher likelihood of mission success. And think about what you're doing. If you, if you're getting three examples and you're getting three deliverables and you can actually see the results and go, yeah, this one's actually better. You're, you're increasing your chances of having mission success and you're filtering out the options that aren't going to work well. When you were working for uh, special operations, didn't you have 
contractors actually deliver things to a test site and and run some tests to prove out that their system did what they said it was going to do? Yeah, we actually we actually considered it part of the source selection. Technically, we could argue that it was in the execution time zone because we had awarded contracts and then they brought their product and their solution and their and their kit and their training and they ran the operators through it. And we saw it as a continuation of the source selection, even though we were paying them all to be there. But they, the, the, for the Navy SEALs to be able to test it and go, yeah, when I turn it like this, it broke. I, I would have never figured that out in the proposal. Right. <laughs> but for the user to really test it and, and get it yeah. wet and, and actually you know, shoot with it, it's just, yeah, it was. Their proposal is going to say, when you turn it like this, it's not going to break. Exactly. <laughs> it's go. The proposal is definitely going to say that. It was, it was a huge win from the perspective of it took a little bit longer, but it, it resulted in a great product that the customer really bought into and met the mission. Yeah, we're talking about the government, how this helps them and what they're doing. D- down selects are more work up front, right? You have to do more before you just pick one company to roll ahead and deliver for you. Or if you have a multiple award strategy, multiple companies to roll ahead. But the resulting contracts are often better contracts that operate cleanly and and deliveries happen as expected. There's less surprises, fewer surprises. It's going to cost you a little more upfront or could be a lot of more upfront in the case of NASA's Let's Land on the Moon program. That's that hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars thing. It's going to cost you more upfront, hopefully in exchange for fewer surprises, delays, like just a better program overall. And in the case of NASA, I would argue that it also is driving more innovation. You have three companies who are actively trying to innovate to solve this complex problem. Yeah. So again, for your agency, if you have a really unique puzzle you're trying to solve, to have to pay three different companies to, to try and solve the problem and then pick the best of those solutions, not a lot of downside in that. If you're only talking about spending less money, <laughs> you know, government contract might not meet a place for you anyway. Right. I mean, think think about what you gain. One contractor is going to win and actually do the mission, but the other contractors have farthered their technology and done other things that are going to help you and uh, and the commercial world in other places. Another thing to consider here is this may allow for longer contracts. And what I mean by that is that we've we've done episodes about the standard length of a contract five years. Well, if you're going through this process and and you're and you're going through a formal down select. And saying we're, we're awarding a one-year contract to these three companies, and we're going to get we're going to get the following result. You could probably make the case for making a longer contract. That's good for industry because the longer the contract, the more the, the more the benefit from a from a, a revenue engagement and, and customer longevity. It's better for the government because you're not rotating through customers, on, particularly on complex systems, and it also creates stability in a potentially complex program like NASA. I'm assuming they're not going to award a two-year contract when this thing is over. I mean, once they pick the company, this is going to be the system, right? Right. So there's a there's a benefit to, it's not easy to get longer contracts approved, but it's worth asking the question of your agency if you're going to do these down selects. Say, hey, can we make this a 10-year contract instead of a five-year? And just like that, you cut your workload in half <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have to do it again in five years. The down select process really can increase communication. And like we've already talked about, it, it gives you more evidence that the contractors are going to be able to deliver. Context, that's the other word that we haven't said yet. It <laughs> provides both sides more context about the reality of this solution, of this contractor's ability to deliver the solution. The FAR doesn't directly speak to down selects. FAR Part 7 provides guidance on acquisition planning and talks about getting to the most efficient competitive process 
but it doesn't have a specific reference to a down select. I did find a reference to down selection in the Navy Marine Corps FAR supplement, and it was in context of guidance on when you're writing a justification approval for other than than full and open competition. And it said, here are some examples of things that would be considered reasonable to use as a reason for awarding something as a sole source. And this was one of the examples. It said, the sole source was determined through a prior competitive down selection. In other words, if you went through the effort of doing a down select, it's like you've reinforced the value of the competition because it wasn't just written on proposal. It was based on, you did a down select. You actually got some evidence from them and made an even more informed decision that you're now extending to a, a extension of a sole source contract. All right, flipping to the industry side. Industry folks, why should you care about down selects? Well, it gives you a chance to prove that you can do the job, right? You may have to invest a little more upfront because the government doesn't always pay for that front end of the down select. Like you said, Kevin, some contracts, you pay them to come test or, or provide test articles so that you can fi- figure out which one's the best for you and buy. Some contracts, industry has to pony up up front in order to win. So it may cost you more up front, but you may get a longer term contract in the end. Worst case, you get more exposure to the government about your capabilities, even if you don't win. And as a hint to the government folks, this is why doing a down select, it can can backfire. Uh, Industry is not going to be very interested in in doing a down select procedure for a one-year contract for like three employees. (laughs) So it needs to be big enough and long enough that it's worth the effort. Because the overall value from industry, one of the values from the industry side is this is creating a strong contract delivery relationship, meaning that you know the company can deliver. And I'm I'm saying that from experience. When we awarded the contract to to that company that was down-selected, I was very confident they could do this for the next five years because I I had real evidence of them actually doing it. The customer not just loved their proposal, but actually loved the equipment they delivered because they'd used it. And it just made delivery easier. And think about it on big programs from from a industry perspective and a government perspective, this reduces risk. If NASA is paying for the design phase for this moon mission up front for three contractors, then they have them propose again to actually build it and accomplish the mission. How much uncertainty has been removed from the process because the contractors have already gotten to that design phase before they submit their proposals for what they're actually, how they're actually going to do the job and how much it's going to cost, right? It takes out a lot of that that fuzziness in the proposed prices. So you could get a better price for the end product industry. You could have more confidence that you're going to make some money on the job because you're not guessing. You've already designed it out. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool to be able to go with a firm fixed price contract because of what you learned during the down select process? I mean, the difference in that alone is huge. That's the goal, and that's what they're doing. That's what they're doing, right? But you have confidence to do that now because everybody understands the requirements. You've been through it. There you go. The downselect process really filters out those who can't perform. What I mean by that is some companies can write a really impressive, fancy proposal, but there's not much behind it. They can't actually do the job well. And if you're doing a downselect and they actually have to prove they can do the job, it'll become apparent very quickly which ones can do it and which ones can't. So this can be good or bad depending on what kind of contractor you are. If you're good at proposal writing but haven't quite got the chops to do the job yet, 
this is going to highlight that. If you're not very good at proposal writing, but you can really do the job, then maybe it's a good thing for you because you get to prove that, yeah, we're not very good with graphics in, in the proposal, but man, can we, can we do this for you? You'll be happy. And now the government gets confidence that you could do the job. And then this also reveals the price floor. We did an episode called The Price Floor about the fact sometimes the government doesn't know that there's a price at which we can't deliver this, particularly on services, right? So when you talk about, it filters out those people that can't perform. It also filters out the ones that underbid it so much just to win. Yeah. If they can't actually deliver during the down select, government got their answer. Like, you know what? That was an unrealistically low price. And they have evidence to prove it, not just an argument that's going to end up at a debris. Right, right. It, it, it provides a disincentive to, to bid ultra low because that's not going to help you win. You know, if, you, if you're thinking, we'll bid this low to win it, then we'll figure out how to do it later and just do a bunch of engineering change proposals to make the money back. Mm, this helps limit that kind of activity. Correct. Yeah, it's not, not without pain, though. It does cost you more in time. It does cost you more in money to do any type of down select. There are a lot of ways to do it. It's one of the additional ways that the government can filter through the acquisition process. But the cool part about it is that sometimes the government can pay for it. Sometimes industry can pay for it. And it doesn't need to be a one-year contract. It could be a one-month study. I mean, there's lots of smaller ways to do this. But it is a longer-time investment because you're literally adding a step in the overall selection process. And you're inserting some extra work into the, your flow through the time zones. Yeah. You got to make sure it's worth it, that, that time and energy is worth it. But the increase in targeting for both sides, the increase in communications and context throughout the downselect process can make it worth the effort. Just, just make sure that it will be worth the effort before you insert the additional time and money. And a really good way to find that out is ask industry. <laughs> Say, we're thinking about doing this as a downselect. Put that on, on beta.stam.gov, see what happens. Some people love them and some, some people see them as a challenge but you're going to get feedback either way. And either way, we should wrap this one up. I'll talk to you soon. All right, I'll see you, Paul. Thanks for joining us here on the Contracting Officer Podcast. If you need help with concepts like a down-select acquisition strategy, Skyway's team of former contracting officers is here for you. To start your relationship with Skyways Contracting Officers, call us at 877-884-5280 or go to skywaymember.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you here next week.